As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. If you have a low risk pregnancy, you've come into late in, in labor all on your own, you don't need to be continuously monitored. Um, that's it, called intermittent monitoring where we monitor you for a little bit, make sure baby looks happy in there, and then you can be off the monitor and totally like free from the cords and stuff. So uh, sometimes though, that intermittent monitoring is not always offered as an option. So if you do have a low risk pregnancy and you go in and they've just have you hooked up the whole time, you can ask like, uh, can I be off the monitor for a little bit? Um, You can always ask that. Getting pregnant and giving birth are two of the most exciting things you can ever hope to experience in this life. The moment you think you could be pregnant, you're frantically searching for all the best information, which is why you're here today. I'm Stephanie King, and with my many years of experience as a professional childbirth educator, doula, and lover of all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, I'm here to make preparing for your birth enjoyable, empowering, and totally easy. Each week, I'll cover different topics, interview professionals, and get into the nitty-gritty birth stories from mamas just like you. And when you're ready for more, you can join me in the My Essential Birth course at myessentialbirth.com, where I take you step-by-step through exactly how to prepare your mind, body, spirit, and partner for a birth you love. So let's get started. It's time. The My Essential Birth postpartum course is here. Whether you're pregnant, just got baby home, or weeks and months into postpartum, this is the course for you. No more wondering what's normal for your body postpartum, if baby's eating or pooping enough, or how to get a good latch. You now have an all-in-one resource where you can click a topic and get the answer. Learn more at myessentialbirth.com forward slash postpartum and add it onto the My Essential Birth course for even less when you bundle them at checkout. Already in the course? Check your student library and add the course for the same discount. I can't wait to support you on your postpartum journey. This week's reviewer of the week comes from E. Reese 307 and she says, game changer for a first birth. This podcast was my best pregnancy resource during pregnancy. I just had my first baby and before the birth, I listened to every episode of this podcast, which is pretty impressive because we're over 200 now, guys. Uh, my birth preferences went out the door when my babe was diagnosed with fetal growth restriction and I was scheduled to be induced early. This podcast gave me the strength and knowledge to stay positive and continue Continue forward to have the most amazing, natural-ish hospital birth. Now I have a beautiful baby girl who is as healthy as can be at one week old. Thank you. Um, thank you for your review and thank you for the update. I love hearing great stories like this. And I think you guys that are listening, this episode is going to go right along with what she just discussed. Um, we've got a lot to discuss today and I'm really excited to have with me here labor and delivery nurse Mackenzie. Um, Mackenzie, if you will take a moment and say hi to everybody, introduce yourself, tell us a little about you, and then I want to dive into today's content. Yeah. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Um, I am a labor and delivery and postpartum nurse, so I do both. Um, I've been a nurse for seven years, and I've only done labor and delivery and postpartum. I have not worked anywhere else in the hospital. Um, so, And I've worked night shift um, the whole time, so night shift people <laughs> unite. We're the cool ones. <laughs> um, so I have two boys. I have a four-year-old and a one uh, one year old and um and I was a nurse during the time that I gave birth and um being first time pregnant I realized firsthand how little 
education you get um, at doctor's appointments and like sometimes midwife's appointments. They're, the clinic is just such a rotating, you know, you get your 15 minutes and you have to go. And that's not necessarily their fault. It's the whole systems, the, how it's set up. So I realized like how little education you really get. Um, and so I kind of just started it. I started on TikTok and it started as um, I was making videos, more like funny ones for other labor and delivery nurses. But then a bunch of moms started following me, like pregnant, pregnant to be moms. And they um, were asking questions in the comments, just very, very basic questions that I was like, wait, like, you don't know that? Like, I thought your doctor would have gone over this or something. Um so then I started answering those questions and then my platform just kind of morphed into this educational platform all about pregnancy and um, birth, postpartum, breastfeeding, newborns, that whole kind of niche there. So I have a TikTok and then I have an Instagram too where I talk a lot on stories and then, you know, do all the reels and stuff just about um, education. And I try to do it in a non-fear-mongering way because on the internet, you can get fear mongering how, wherever you look, you know? So I want to do it in a non-judgmental, like here are the facts, take it or leave it. This is, you know, so, uh, yeah, so that's my platform. And, and then I still work at the hospital and I love what I do. I love that. And I, I can attest to that. I've been onto your platforms to check out what you do and all of that. And it is, there's no fear mongering. Like it just feels like good, fun, really helpful information. So, um, why don't you tell everybody right now and we'll say it again at the end, like what your, what your social media um, handles are. Yeah. So on both TikTok and Instagram, it's Mackenzie on motherhood. There's dot, there's periods in there, dot. So it's Mackenzie dot on dot motherhood. Um, and I started a YouTube, but I'm not very active on YouTube quite yet, but I am on <laughs> one <there>. thing at <laughs> a time, right? Um, so <laughs> exactly slow, <laughs> slow growth. Yes. That's awesome. Um, I'll make sure to have all the links in the show notes too. So if you guys are wondering about any of that, you can go ahead and just click on this episode and we'll get you there. Why don't we start with that though, if you don't mind, since you get to work in hospital, I think you said something really important um, that I kind of want to highlight. And I think that's really common for us as birth workers. Any Anytime that you're involved with birth and you understand the process of it, to forget what it was like to not know anything that was about to happen with your body, with the process. Right. Um, and so even as I like speak to other women yeah those like simple questions you're like oh shoot like I forgot that I didn't know that you know so like having to go back and like really break Mm -hmm. it down um so with that in mind when we're talking about being in a hospital setting and having incredible labor and delivery nurses who probably get to see all the women coming in labor in the nighttime right because that's when labor likes to get going um (laughs) what are what are some of the options for women coming into that setting how do they how do they get them in a way that is kind and loving and respectful to the people that are working with them, being the labor and delivery nurses there? Mm-hmm. Um, and what uh, other things around the hospital do they have to be able to utilize um, some like natural coping techniques? Yes. So um, and I love what you said is options because we have a lot of options, but sometimes Depending on your nurse, they're not going to be all like here. Presented you know, I wish to we you. Had, like a, a menu. <laughs> yeah. Like here are all of your options, you know? Um, so yeah. So when, <clears throat> when you get into the hospital, um, you're going to have your labor and delivery nurse. She's going to be, she or he will be, you know, your main nurse. You don't really see the doctor or midwife that often. Your nurse is like the one, um, who's taking care of you the whole time. Um, so comfort techniques in the hospital are, um, one, you do not have to, st- one is movement and you do not have to stay in your hospital bed. Um, I feel like that bed is like center of the room, like get in the bed and, um, yes, we'll have to kind of monitor baby for a little bit. Um, but you don't have to be sitting there in that uncomfortable kind of reclined position. You can sit up in the bed. You can sit on the side of the bed and you don't even have to be in the bed to be monitored. You can be um, standing, leaning over the bed. You can sit on a birth ball. So um, even though the bed is like the center of the tension in the room, you're not, you don't have to stay in it the whole labor. And it's better to move around, um, to move your pelvis in different ways to get baby to 
come down. We want to use gravity to get that baby down. Um, so one is just movement. You don't have to stay in that bed. Two is, um, balls. I like balls are great. <laughs> Birth balls. Um, we have the peanut balls. Most I've, I've worked in Wisconsin and then a little bit in Houston. Um, but majority of hospitals I feel do have peanut balls, but I, peanut balls and birth balls like you don't need to bring your own in if you're worried you can just ask the you can call the hospital labor and delivery team and ask or ask your doctor or midwife but birth balls are you know just the exercise yoga balls um they're great in pregnancy and then great in labor um and postpartum too to just kind of sit and bounce with your baby so we've got um Birth balls you can have, and then peanut balls are like the big exercise balls, but they're shaped like a peanut. Um, and they go, they can go in between your legs. Sometimes you can lean over on them. Um, and peanut balls are great if you have an epidural or unmedicated. Um, if you have, if you're my patient and you have an epidural, you know, I'm going to bring a peanut ball in because <laughs> peanut balls are shown to, uh, shorten your labor and can shorten pushing time. You can push with them in between your legs, or sometimes you can like kind of like straddle them, like hug the, hug the top of them. And then with your bottom legs, put your bottom legs on the bottom part of the peanut ball. So, um, we've got balls and movement and then other things like As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, if you're being induced or have a high-risk pregnancy, most likely you'll be continuously monitored, which means we have the monitors on your belly to monitor your contractions and baby. Um, but if you have a low risk pregnancy, you've come into late in, in labor all on your own. You don't need to be continuously monitored. Um, it, it's called intermittent monitoring where we monitor you for a little bit, make sure baby looks happy in there. And then you can be off the monitor and totally like free from the cords and stuff. So, uh, sometimes though, that intermittent monitoring is not always offered as an option. So if you do have a low risk pregnancy and you go in and they've just have you hooked up the whole time, you can ask like, uh, can I be off the monitor for a little bit? Um, you can always ask that. Um, typically that's like the doctor or the midwife. We, they put in an order for continuous or intermittent monitoring. Um, so if that sounds, uh, if that sounds like something you'd want, I definitely like ask the nurse, but even talk to your doctor midwife before so that they know. Um, so with that being said, if you are continuously monitored, we there are hospitals that have wireless monitoring. So we can still monitor you without all the cords and you can still be up in your room and moving. Uh, some wireless monitors are even waterproof. So you can still get in the shower um, while you're in labor or if there's a tub in the hospital, you can get in the tub Water, I mean, hydrotherapy is just everything. <laughs> I think it helps so much. It helps one with distraction. It helps the, um, it helps you to relax. Um, it's just, I think it can do so well. And that's personal experience too. <laughs> I was in the shower for both my labors and in the tub for my second labor. And I just, it took all the pressure off and really helped me relax. So we've got the movement, the balls, we've got the shower and water. And then um, we, of course, have just normal coping techniques like uh, practicing your breathing while you're pregnant and learning to be able to get into a relaxed state of slow, deep breaths during contractions. Um, 
holding, squeezing a comb during contractions can help um, having the teeth of the comb onto your hand and squeezing it. I personally like to do that when my patient's getting an epidural because when they're sitting over hunched uh, with an epidural, just to squeeze the comb, it it's also just another distraction technique um, that I've had. I've just recently kind of started doing that and people are able to sit a lot better for epidurals. I think what about like heat and cool? Oh, yes. Heat. Yeah. Heat and cool. So we've got um, heat packs, especially if you have back labor. A lot of people like having heat on your back. Um, And then Heat also goes with, um, I personally love warm compresses on your perineum when you're pushing, um, just to kind of help that tissue kind of warm up and help it stretch as you're pushing to try to like reduce tearing. And then cold, um, I mean, labor is an Olympic sport. You can get really hot, especially in pushing and stuff. Uh, so what typically in the hospital we do is we have, um, a big, you know, hospital basin bucket. We fill it with ice and water and then a bunch of washcloths. And then we put those icy cold washcloths on your forehead or the back of your neck or your chest, wherever you need to just like help, help cool down a little. Mm -hmm. Do you guys offer Um, any like aromatherapy? Do you allow that in your hospital or do you provide that where you're at? Yes, uh, we have aromatherapy. All the hospitals I've worked for have aromatherapy. That's awesome. Um, the hospital I work for actually has like five sets of um, diffusers, which I was like, oh, That's my gosh, so cool. this is so many. This is great. <laughs> um, and we've got like lavender, rose, ginger, eucalyptus, peppermint, all sorts of stuff. So um, that's another thing, setting the mood and setting the room to be nice and peaceful, that's like number one. Um, I come in and I turn off all the lights. Um, and we either turn off all the, the hospital fluorescent lights. Who wants, no one wants to deliver under a fluorescent light. So turn out when you get into the hospital, turn off all the lights. Sometimes hospitals have, we have like a wall light that's a little bit of a warmer light. So I'll keep that on. Or um, the baby warmer in the room has a light on it. That's a much warmer light. Um, So we'll put that on sometimes uh, just making it dim, making it calm, um, not like having visitors, like 15 visitors all talking and stuff. We want to keep the noise low. Um, and then of course the aromatherapy, we want it, we want your birth space to feel, you want to feel safe and secure because we're animals giving birth. We're, you know, we're animals. Animals need to feel safe in order to give birth. So if you set up your space, like number one, lights, smell, comfort. You can bring in your own comfort items. If you want to bring your own gown in, you can wear a bra, you can wear underwear. Here's um, my kind of my own little nurse soapbox. Um, If any other labor and delivery nurses are listening, sometimes you don't want to not wear underwear like for 12 hours straight. Yeah. You know, like I personally liked to wear underwear. Yeah. So I always offer to, um, especially if your water breaks, yes. like of course I'm going to wear underwear with a pad or something with all that fluid leaking out. So I always uh, offer my patients like you can wear the ho- that hospital mesh underwear. One, it's I think it's personally super comfortable. But two, if baby's coming around the corner, I can just rip those underwear right off because they're just mesh. So um, you can wear underwear, wear a bra, whatever you want. I want you to feel comfortable because if you're uncomfortable and in labor, that's not ideal. I want right. you to be comfortable and in labor. Yeah. Right. It's funny that you say that because that was kind of one of my big things is for my comfort, I wanted to be in my own clothing. Um, it actually was like a huge deal for me. And and when I was, then I could relax a little bit more. So it's definitely something I tell moms, like you can wear your own clothes. Oh yeah. You know? So. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, and hospital, cl- like hospital robes and the, you know, blankets, they've been laundered so much. They're kind of like scratchy yeah, they're not very and soft. stuff. So yeah. 
Yeah. So even I tell people like bring your own pillow and blanket. Sometimes I recommend like if we're getting close to birth, let's remove the right. pillow and blanket for a little bit just so we don't get yes. blood and <laughs> sweat and all this stuff all If you're them. a doula and listening, but, that's um, your job. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just take them away from the splash zone right. for a second exactly. and bring them back. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I ha- It makes me curious because you said that you have two. So first of all, like just for a moment, talk to me about like being a nurse and the schedule that you have and like having babies and raising them. Like, what is that like for you? I don't mean to get off topic here, but like, I am genuinely curious what that looks like for you. Yeah. So, um, I actually prefer working night shift, um, with little ones because, um, I work at 7 PM to 7 AM. So, I'm able to like see them for dinner and stuff. I I don't put them to bed, but I see them for dinner. I leave for work. And then when I come home, they're awake and I can have breakfast with them and then I go to sleep. So I do, I mean, the thing that kind of isn't great about night shift is you you have to get like childcare for the day before and the day after because you're taking sense. a nap yeah. before work and then after you're sleeping. Yeah. Um. So it kind of adds extra childcare. However, when I pick up a day shift and I work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I leave at 6 in the morning. They're either just waking up or not or sleeping. Most of the time they're still sleeping. And then I get home and I usually get home at like 8 p.m., 8.30 and they're in bed. So like I don't see them basically that entire day. So that's why I prefer doing night so I can see them a little bit. However, it is, um, you know, you're tired a lot. Um, But... I've also kind of been doing it for seven years, yeah. so <laughs> I'm used to the I'm used to the how to wake myself up and that whole that whole ebbs and flows. But, well, and what a benefit yeah, to so, moms that um, you have had this experience yourself and you're a labor delivery nurse because it's like you've been through it, you've utilized some of these things yourself, like you were saying, like the water and stuff. So you know exactly like how to support a mom and what she's going through. And I just think that's huge. It's actually I don't I don't mean this in any kind of like negative way, but it's something that I think about when I've had like a male provider because I'm like as much as you like love your what you do and you care for the women that you have like there's part of you that I don't think could ever really truly understand exactly what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's so nice to have somebody in your space that does whether that's labor and delivery nurse or a doula or a midwife or whatever that looks like. So it's just such a benefit like what you get to do and the fact that you've been through it yourself. So I think that's pretty neat. Yes, I agree. Well, and especially even if it, even if you're taking it down to like ignoring the like physical aspect of it, um, even if you're a female and you haven't had kids yet, you don't understand the emotion, like the raw emotion of labor processing your birth. And then just postpartum is so emotional. You don't, you don't understand until you go through it. And actually after I had my first kid, I think I became a better, a better nurse all around, but definitely a better postpartum nurse because I then really understood the like mom mental breakdowns at two in the morning, you know, when baby's not latching or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, something else that you mentioned, um, you talked about induction when we were going over even like some techniques to use for moms and things. Um, I especially get this question, women who are coming up to an unexpected induction or like an unplanned where like that was not part of the birth plan. That wasn't exactly what I was looking for. And I'm still really looking to have a really wonderful experience. Um, we talk a lot about Many moms want to know, how can I do this unmedicated? Um, and they're absolutely, that's something that you can do. We also talk about the use of tools like epidurals or pain medication during that time when things do become um, so much that you're like, these will actually be useful to this situation and I will have a better experience overall if I utilize them. But will you talk a little bit about induction and what that looks like in a hospital? Kind of like from the very beginning nitty gritty, like women want to know, what exactly is going to happen to my body at what time of day? <laughs> like walk right. me through what that yeah. looks like. Right. Yes. So, um, and I can uh, totally empathize when 
you don't want an induction and now all of a sudden you have to have one. I had to have an induction for being overdue for my second. And after I scheduled it, I just cried because I was like, I, I didn't want this, you know. So I completely understand having your birth plan go a totally different way than you're expecting. So <clears throat> if you were being induced, uh, the first thing that would determine what kind of medication and what, how we're going to start off the induction would be, um, a cervical exam. So the, in order to, so the, the nurse or doctor would check your cervix. And what we're feeling for in your cervix is a lot of people think cervical exams are just for dilation, like how open you are. But cervical exams tell us, uh, I think five things. So it's how open you are, how dilated, how thin or thick your cervix is, where your cervix is in your pelvis. Sometimes when you're not really ready for labor, your cervix sits more by your tailbone and then it actually kind of moves forward towards your pubic bone as it gets ready for labor. Uh, and then we're figuring out where baby is in the pelvis. Is baby really like up high or in the middle of your pelvis? And then um, how thick are the texture of your cervix? So is your cervix feel like I... I like to say like a green banana, like really unripe, just totally green and hard. And then when a cervix is ready for labor, it's going to be like a mushy brown banana. So it goes from very hard to like almost like jello. So when we do that cervical exam, if we're feeling that your cervix is still really um, long, it's hard, it's not dilated much, we would need to ripen your cervix, kind of ripen it like into a brown banana um, before we could do other um, induction tools like like uh, Pitocin or breaking your water. We need to get that cervix ripe and ready for labor first. So they would do a cervical exam and that would determine which, which way we're going. If your cervix is not ready for labor yet, uh, there's different medications that they can um, put by your cervix. It's called, there's a one called Cytotec or Mesoprostol. That's a little pill we put by your cervix. There's a, um, it kind of looks like a tampon, but it's not like a... Th I only say tampon because it's on a little string. It's this little rectangular, rectangular kind of like cardboard, I guess, on a string that's called Cervidil. We can put that by your cervix. And these medications ripen your cervix. So sometimes they can put you into labor, but oftentimes you just kind of feel crampy from it. And it's making your cervix nice and soft and helping it to be ready for when we start contractions. Um, if you don't want to go the medicine route, there is also, uh, we call it mecha a mechanical way, which just means um, there's no medicine. We're kind of manually opening up. You're helping it to get ready for labor, manually opening it up. And that's with a uh, Cook's catheter, or you can, people call it a balloon, uh, balloon induction or Foley balloon. So, you have to be at least one centimeter open because um, what happens is they would put a little tube up through your cervix. And then once it's past your cervix, they blow up a little balloon with, wa with water. And then that sits at the top of your cervix. So kind of in between baby's head and the top of your cervix. Sometimes they blow up a second balloon that's on the bottom of your cervix. So it's kind of like squishing it, squishing your cervix like a sandwich. Um, I personally had that for my, uh, second, second birth. I had that Foley, uh, balloon. It feels like a ton of pressure down there. Cause I mean, really there's balloons and they're squishing your cervix. So it feels very, can be very uncomfortable and a lot of pressure, but, um, I didn't think it was horrible or anything. Um, so those are kind of, you can do that med medication route or that balloon route. Either way, this part takes a long time. Um, the pill, sometimes you get two to three doses. So that's like over 12 hours. The Cervidil, that tampon thing stays in for 12 hours. And that Foley, uh, that Foley balloon, we kind of tug on it every hour or so to see if it's going to fall through your cervix as it as your cervix opens. Um, sometimes that can take four hours. Sometimes it can take 12 hours. So this part is kind of the early labor, the boring part. We're really just trying to prep your body for labor. Um, so 
sometimes people come in at nighttime for this um, so that you can try to sleep as much as you can in the hospital. <laughs> sleep overnight while we're prepping your cervix so then in the morning we can then actually start the labor process. So um, one, if you are having an induction, one thing to note is um, I'm having cervical reddening because that will tell you if if you're going to be in it for a long haul, because sometimes that can take 12 hours, sometimes it can take a full 24 hours. Um, so I suggest like bringing something to do, bringing uh, something to watch. Uh, I see people like bring a Roku or a fire stick and just plugging it into the hospital TV so that you can just watch your own Netflix or whatever. Um, so that's the cervical ripening part. And then the once your cervix is ripe and ready, it's soft, it's dilated a little, it's thinned out, then there are options to either, um, typically, majority of the time, it would be start Pitocin. Um, and Pitocin is the lab-made version of the hormone oxytocin. And oxytocin is a love hormone. It helps our uterus contract. Um, it's released during sex and breastfeeding. So, um, it's the lab-made version of that, Pitocin. So we start Pitocin. Um, it's an IV medicine that goes into your IV, and we start it really slow. Uh, and then we slowly put the medication up and up and up every about 15 to 30 minutes. We'll come in and bring it up. What we're trying to do, so the Pitocin just gives you contractions. So what we're trying to do is slowly introduce the drug into your system to give you contractions. And we stop going up once you're, once you're in a really good contraction pattern. Um, so once you're contracting every like two to four minutes, we don't go up any higher. We don't want to give you too many contractions. We'll stop once your body is responding to it. Um, a, Nice thing about Pitocin is if your body kicks into labor, we can turn the Pitocin off or we can turn it down or we can turn it up. So we can kind of play around with it and what you need because everyone, there's not a specific number that people need. Some people only need a little bit and some people need more. Um, the bad rep that Pitocin gets is people say that Pitocin contractions are a lot um, more painful than you know, coming in and it's your own body's contractions. My thought process behind that is uh, when you come in and labor and your body's doing it all on your own, you have oxytocin, but you have all these other hormones like endorphins running through your body. So all that cascading hormones that your body's doing helps to, um, helps the pain perception effect. Um, when you're having Pitocin and you're not in labor and we're artificially making labor happen, you're not having all those extra feel-good hormones. You're just having the one Pitocin. So uh, you're not having that extra kind of pain, you know, pain, what's the word? What's the word? Like, you know, um, perception? I want to say pain deafening, but that's not the word. Pain perception, you know, your lower pain perception of of the contractions. So, um, me personally, I had Pitocin for my first birth and then I did not for my second. And I never personally thought that Pitocin was stronger than my natural labor. However, uh, like they were this, the same amount of intensity in both births. However, Pitocin was intense right away. It, um, and on my natural labor, it got more intense later in labor. So um, that was my personal difference that I that I found. Um, so we would start Pitocin. We'd get you into a good contraction pattern. And then um, the another option is to break your water. So how a doctor or midwife does that is it's like a little crochet hook and they um, do a cervical exam and they just take that little crochet hook and pop the water bag. Um, sometimes that can help speed up labor. It's not really, I think research shows it doesn't really speed up labor when you're in the early part of labor. Um, a good time to get your water broken is when 
we want the head to be well engaged in your pelvis. We want the head to have worked its way down so that um, when your water does break, the head can go right onto the cervix and help push on the cervix and help you help you dilate more. So, um, yeah, so there's the, the cervical ripening and then Pitocin and your water being broken. Sometimes people uh, want their, their water to be broken and not try Pitocin and see if having your water broke, being broken starts labor instead of having to use Pitocin. So these are all options that you can discuss with your doctor or midwife to see if, if there's a preference that you would like. Um, you you mentioned with other. your second birth, yes. was that your induction or was your first birth your uh, induction? So my first birth, my water broke, n- contractions never started. Okay. I talked to my midwife. She said, you can stay home for eight hours. And then around eight hours, I want you to come to the hospital. And during those eight hours, oh my gosh, I did every single, <laughs> like every single old wise hill, you know, like the curb walking, like everything, walking, birth ball, pumping, everything and nothing I didn't get a single contraction. So I went to the hospital and that's when I got Pitocin. So I had Pitocin for my first birth. And then my second birth, I uh, had the Foley balloon induction because I was over, I was overdue. Um, but you said you didn't have Pitocin. So did contractions just begin? Yeah. That's so awesome. I had the Foley balloon and then it fell out uh, like four hours later. And it actually... I was like, yay, I'm contracting when I have this Foley balloon. Oh my gosh, maybe I'll go into labor. And then the Foley balloon came out and boom, no contractions. I felt perfectly (laughs) fine. Um, And I actually had the Foley balloon placed in the clinic with my midwife and I went home with it in. So I didn't stay at the hospital. Um, Yeah, I didn't stay, which was nice because I went home and I like walked around the neighborhood with it in. Um, Then I woke up and so I was supposed to go the next morning at 5 a.m. for an in- the induction part. Like, I think she was going to break my water to start out with. But I woke up two minutes before my alarm to my water breaking. Oh, and that's then, awesome. And then the whole labor just started. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, But I do think that Foley balloon is what irritated it everything up enough that my water eventually broke like six hours later. So when is it yeah. a possibility for moms to have it placed like you had mentioned, and be able to go overnight with just the Foley bulb. Was that because you're a nurse and <laughs> they were like, we know what you're the, looking for? So, right, right. Well, the my midwife clinic who, you know, delivers babies in the hospital, they are nurse midwives. Um, they offer that. That's awesome. Um, and I've heard of other places offering that. I'm not sure if many OBs feel comfortable yeah. with that because they like the continuous monitoring and stuff. So I've never, I've never worked for an OB who offers that. So then when my midwife offered that to me, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, let's do that. If I don't have to, I don't want to sleep overnight in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Like for moms that are listening, yes, ask for this because that is, Mm -hmm. that's golden. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because then I at least, you know, got decent sleep before I, my induction, you know, well, I ended up going into labor, but still, <laughs> yes. yeah. So I, w- I hope, I hope, eventually that becomes the norm to do cervical ripening at home because otherwise you're stuck in a hospital for totally. so long. Okay, so for moms yeah. that um, are going through the induction process though, and say they did the cervical ripening or the the fully blub or whatever, and they still need the use of this pitocin to get things moving, what does that look like for them? Um, like how long does it last? Will a body kick in? What can they still utilize um, around the hospital? I know that we, we, I don't think we mentioned this, but with an induction where you're using Pitocin and you're on the phenomonitors the entire time, um, if Pitocin, Pitocin gets turned off, can they still, can they do intermittent monitoring? Is that an option? Technically, yes. It should be if, if they're not on any medicine and it's just their body now producing its own contractions and stuff technically yes you might have to fight for that to be honest (laughs) um depending on who your provider is um but yeah 
However, if it's if we are giving you medicine to make your body, you know, do something it doesn't want to do, we're yeah. inducing the labor, they'll want to monitor contractions and how baby tolerates them. But really what we're looking for how, you know, how what baby's heart rate is, but we're also really looking at your contractions because we don't want to give you too few and we don't want to give you too many. So we're trying to find that like nice balance. Um, but when you have Pitocin, um, you will be hooked up to an IV the whole time. So you'll, you will have your little IV pole friend with you, uh, with that. However, you don't need to be, you're not stuck in bed with Pitocin. You can still walk around. Um, if you have a partner or a doula or whoever you have with you, they can, they can be in charge of the IV pole. So you don't have to worry about it. But, um, you can still like labor on the toilet. You can sit on the birth ball. You can walk the halls. You can still do. I mean, as long as they have that wireless monitoring, because you'll be continuously monitored, you can still move around. You can still um, have the basically all, almost all the coping tools that I talked about earlier. Um, if you got into the shower, they would kind of it would be a little awkward just because we'd have to tape up your IV and we wouldn't want to get your IV wet, but um, we can figure out, we can DIY yeah. <laughs> a little makeshift, you know, thing to not get water on your IV. Yeah, that's awesome. So do, is there like an average or maybe even just from what you've seen from when women come in um, for an induction and about the average of what it takes to birth a baby. And maybe just from your experience, I'd be curious to know how often those inductions end up turning into a cesarean birth, if mom should prepare for that, um, versus being able to continue on for a vaginal birth in that case. How long it takes is just so variable, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's also determined on like, where you're starting off in labor. Are we doing cervical ripening or are we starting off with Pitocin right away? Um, I would say if it's your first baby, you've never given birth before, um, at least 24 hours. If we're doing the cervical ripening and then we're doing labor, at least 20, not 24 hours of just the cervical ripening, but 24 hours in total. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, uh, the cervical ripening part is usually m minimum of 12 hours, but it can be t to a full day. Um, but I feel like cervical ripening, minimum 12 hours, and then we start the labor. Um, and then second time moms, third time moms, if you have, since your body's already done this before, um, typically induction medication works a little bit faster and more effectively. Um, because your body's already done it before. So they say like, oh, hey, oh, oh, you're trying to make me contract. Okay, I'll, I get it now. Okay, I'll go yeah. into labor. Um, not all the time, but majority of the time, yes. So typically, if it's your second or third baby, they'll probably induce you in the morning time. They won't have you come in overnight because you're, as long as your cervix is ready for labor, they'll just, we don't have to, we skip the cervical ripening step. Um, so at that point, I, I want to say 12 hours usually. Uh, give or take. Sometimes you can come in at seven in the morning and then have your baby by 3 p.m. Um, but other times it's into the night shift or the next day. It's so, it's just so variable. Yeah. But, you know, expect, expect a full day and um, sometimes more, sometimes less. If it's less than a day, less than 24 hours, then woohoo. <laughs> um, and then what you said about the C-section. So, <sighs> I'm going to be honest. I think this really depends on the doctor and the midwife and how patient they are with the um, labor. Um, and that's un that's unfortunate because there should just be a even the standard like some people would like like to go by that standard labor curve of progression and then they say, oh, you're not progressing enough. And then let's do a C-section. Um so it really, there are some, OB, and I don't want to say, I don't want it, me to sound like I'm knocking on all OBGYNs or anything. There are OBGYN, OBGYNs that I've worked with who are so patient and let's do another cervical ripening. We're not, you know, she's not even in labor yet. We still got to work for it. And, you know, the induction can be 
three days, not that you're in labor that whole three days. Maybe it took two days of cervical ripening, but um, there are some OBGYNs who are very patient and, um, and you know, you don't have a C-section or anything like that. Of course, there are some, like in all professions, some bad apples that aren't as patient. Um, however, I don't want to say, like, I feel like everyone, when they're told, okay, we need to induce you for whatever reason, people think, oh my gosh, now I'm going to have a C-section. That's really, I mean, majority of the time, that's not the case. Not every induction ends up in a C-section. And because if that happened, then our C-section rate would be way high because we do so many inductions in America. Um, So yeah, I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, now I'm automatically going to have a C-section. That's not, it's not the case. It just can take a little bit. Um, I really recommend, even if you're not having an induction, but I really like the like spinning babies, um, prenatal kind of movements, doing the stretches, prenatal yoga, just to get like sitting on the birth ball and stuff, just to get your body stretched and ready for labor. Spinning babies is a, is a website where they focus on trying to get baby into a good position for birth because I think when you utilize all that stuff before you give birth, whether or not you're being induced or not, then if we're starting out with baby in a good position and you're like more flexible and like everything's like your ligaments are stretched out and stuff, I think you're set up for success. Yeah, I like better. that a lot. Um, I think there's a lot yeah. that we can do. I mean, as much as we can, right? To prep our bodies and all that stuff. And then the benefit, I think, of like doing preparation in the way of like either childbirth education or like you're talking about um, even just the physical prep, because I, I think there's a lot more with childbirth education, like understanding your options and like how your body's going to go through all this process and all that. But um the preparing of your body is that when things do have to change and that you're like, okay, but I did my part. So you don't have to wonder like, oh, shoot, if I would have, you know, you don't have to go through that, which oftentimes isn't the case anyways, but we're so hard on ourselves that Mm -hmm. if we can eliminate that, then Mm -hmm. it'll make not only the labor process better, but like you were talking about that postpartum, hopefully a little bit more manageable, especially with the emotional part. So I think there's like a huge benefit to what you're saying. I also like the fact that you're talking about the, the, those averages, like hearing like plan for 24 hours. It's like, I tell women plan to go to 42 weeks. You know, because when your head is Mm -hmm. there, it's a lot easier to manage. You know, Um, it's amazing when we're in that vulnerable space of birth, how much the mental part comes into play. And so if you can do some some side things here that help that be a really positive experience, I think it's going to benefit every mom. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I want to add to and I because I didn't say this earlier. If you are going into birth and you are absolutely planning on going unmedicated and now induction is a curveball they threw at you, you can still have an unmedicated birth, like with no pain meds. I have seen plenty of people have inductions and not have any pain medicine. Um, so I don't want you to hear that and then be super discouraged and feel like, ugh, and now everything's ruined. Um, so just kind of want to add that. Of course, some people do have pain medicine with inductions, but um, it's not it's not impossible. Trust me, I've seen it with my own eyes. So I don't want you to think that that's impossible to do. Yeah. Are there some like, tools or tips or things that stick out to you? The women that are able to do it, that's their goal. They want to go unmedicated. Now they have an induction, but they make it through to the end goal. Like they really wanted to go unmedicated. Are there some things that you notice about those women, about their preparation or things that they're doing during labor that can, you can pass on to other women listening? I think even if it, I, I don't really think if it's um induced or not. I think when I see someone going through uh, you know, make it through their unmedicated labor. Um, they have done a lot of prep work. They come in, um, one, believing in their body and knowing that they can do this, like believing in themselves that they can do this. They are really great at relaxing and breathing through the contractions. Uh, and then they're also really great. You know, I said believing in themselves. They're good at listening to their body and just intuitively moving how their body is telling them to move. Like 
I want to sway now. I want you to squat now or take a lunge or go sit on the toilet while we labor. Um, so it's really about intuitive listening and trusting, trusting you, trusting yourself, trusting your baby, trusting your birth. I am a huge, like, I love the positive affirmations, prepping yourself for labor and taking slow, like really practicing breathing. Cause people who I see get through their unmedicated labor, they are able to, when they have a contraction, they are able to just drop their body, be very um, relaxed and breathe through it. Um, And I think that goes for if you're induced or not. It's just preparation is key. And I remember because my first birth, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get the epidural. I don't know. Like when you're... um, on the fence about getting an epidural, yeah. I feel like 99% of the time you're going to get yeah, right. an epidural. <laughs> uh, this, my second birth, I was like, absolutely. I had the chance to have a water birth with my second birth in the hospital. So I was like, absolutely. I want to experience a water birth. I want to experience a Medicaid labor. So it's also having like a really big why and want and like, you know, desire. And then it's all the prep that comes before it. And I, and I tell people, cause I teach a childbirth class at the hospital and I say like, you need to practice your breathing every day. And I know that sounds like so silly, but you have to be able to like snap it, snap into very relaxed breathing the second the contraction starts to build. So that's, th- those are my tips for unmedicated births is practice, practice, and you know, practice. I actually love that you didn't separate the two, that you're like, they're actually one and the same. And it has to do with like your mental Mm -hmm. state and your preparation and all that. I would say maybe like for somebody that's like, oh, we're up against an induction that I wasn't planning. At that point, if you've done all the like physical prep and all that, it would be some of that mental work to be like, you're still good and those positive affirmations and like, let's get into that space because we've got a goal in mind. Um, So that's really powerful. Thank you. Um, overall, I feel like if you guys are listening to this, go follow Mackenzie. I feel like you are a wealth of information and you're in it every day. So that, I mean, what a benefit Mm -hmm. to like, you're dealing with it every day. You see it all the time when people ask questions, it's like such an easy answer. You have it right there. Um, but tell everybody again. Yeah. I've got this, (laughs) right. I've got the scripts in my head. (laughs) It's probably just going through there all at all times, you know? Um, but tell, tell everybody. And I do want to say, I, I just want to add, whatever birth you have, there's no having an induction or having a C-section, having a birth where you get an epidural, none of, there's no hierarchy of birth. Birth is birth. It's how you bring your baby into the world. There's no hierarchy. One is not better than the other. So um, I just want to put that out there. So if if you, if plans change, that doesn't mean that your birth is less than or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We we're, I, we're definitely guilty of doing that to ourselves. And that's very, very true. That's the part on like the other side of postpartum where we get things get a little bit tricky for us if we don't have the birth that we envisioned from the beginning. And some of that, like understanding that, no, no, how matter, however we get our baby here, like we did that, you know, that's pretty powerful. Right. It's yeah. Yeah. We're strong either way. Yeah. We're amazing yeah amazing creatures to <laughs> do put her put her body through that totally yeah okay will you tell everyone one more time where they can find you and connect with you and i'll make sure to include that in the show notes as well yes yeah, so um my tiktok and my instagram are mackenzie period on period motherhood and then i also have a website mackenzie on i started a podcast too actually like yay a month ago, two months ago. And that's just called the Mackenzie and Motherhood podcast. Um, and on that podcast, I talk more about like feeding journeys, pumping journeys, um, and then like birth stories and stuff. Very cool. Well, thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. If you loved what you heard today, the very best way to support this podcast and help other moms to find it is to leave a quick review. I read one at the beginning of the episodes and I would love for yours to be next. And if you're ready for even more pregnancy, birth, and postpartum goodness, come join me in the My Essential Birth course at myessentialbirth.com where I will hold your hand and walk you through pregnancy and birth step-by-step so you're totally prepared for a birth you'll love. See you next week.